0: If we don't step up to the plate and be professional firefighters and start focusing on risk acceptance versus risk avoidance, that model is not going to work. If we, if, we, if we keep looking for more excuses to fight less fire versus justification to fight more fire, our citizens, and, and bet, bet money on this, I'll bet my reputation, our citizens are going to tell us how we're going to fight fire.
1: Firehouse Vigilance presents The Weekly Scrap, a podcast dedicated to the never-ending fight against complacency. Courtney Moore, Firehouse Vigilance, Weekly Scrap, number 178. Tonight's guest is a longtime friend of The Scrap and one of my favorite people, Chief Scott Thompson. He is the fire chief of the Colony Fire Department down in Texas. He's the author of The Functional Fire Company. He travels... He teaches, he writes complete programs when it comes to fire service on the subject of mentoring, training, and then he just gives them away. Just just call him and he'll give them to you. Uh, he is the definition of leave it better than you found it. Uh, my brother, Scott Thompson, it is my pleasure to have you on as the guest this evening. Welcome to Scrap number 178.
0: Thank you, Corley, my brother. It's always great to come on. I always look forward to it. and You're very kind with your introductions. Probably more than I deserve but uh, yeah I'm a terrible business person i I, I give stuff away uh, but that's that's okay
1: the model is not uh what do you call it fiscally responsible is that, the, is <laughs> yeah. that the...
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah it's not fiscally responsible <laughs>
1: anything I missed in the intro anything there's so much to say but anything you would like to add that I left
0: out no sir let's get right to scrapping we, not, nobody nobody's worried about that other stuff let's just okay. talk about the fun stuff.
1: Audience, get your questions primed and ready. Uh, Kyle Romagus is is here. He is curating the questions. He will be throwing them at me. Uh, Go to firehousevigilance.com. Become a part of the Vigilantes. Five bucks a month. Get the exclusive stuff. That's fine. Uh, We just added the ability to sign up for a year at a time if you don't like monthly subscriptions. So uh, let's pay the bills and let's get this on. First up, this episode is brought to you by Key Hose. Check them out on Facebook. The Hose Experts. Then... The Affordable Drill Tower. Uh, Firefighter owned and operated. The only thing you can't do in an Affordable Drill Tower is live fire. Affordable Drill Tower. You can repel, stretch hose lines, go through the stairs, go through the floor, do window bailouts, cut holes in the roof props, use the apartment balconies, pump into the FDC or flow water from the sprinkler system. Call Steve, 844-55-TOWER or drop an email to info at affordabledrilltowers.com. And we got a brand-new sponsor tonight. I'm really excited. FDIC International is taking over Indianapolis April 24th through the 29th, and you have to be there to experience it. No other event brings together the fire service industry like FDIC. Over 30,000 fire service professionals, hands-on training, covering the latest in technology and technique, an expansive conference program, nearly 800 leading manufacturers displaying their products and services. It's not a regular trade show. It's FDIC international register today at FDIC.com and use the promo code scrap S C R A P. Okay. Final one. And I love them. John Spear, one of my favorite people on the planet. They fit to fight fire believes that your level of mental and physical fitness will make the difference between life and death for others. Leading us to train our minds and bodies daily, head on over to fittofightfire.com. Join a community built on hard work and accountability. You will be given a workout of the day, daily inspiration, monthly training, and community working together to get better. fittofightfire.com. Cannot knock it. Okay. With all that being said, like Chief Thompson said, let's get to scrapping. My brother. Let's get it. There's so much i like to throw at you, and I'm going to lead it off with, and I talked to you about it earlier. I want to start off with a mantra of yours that is very near and dear to my heart, developing a fire-first culture.
0: So, you know, I I started thinking about culture, oh, 2003, 2004, and uh, kind of stumbled on it by accident. You know, I, I spent a lot of time traveling around the country, since 1985 visiting what i i considered high performance fire companies and and i'd kind of pay attention to what was going on in those firehouses and and so uh uh, this this culture thing kind of kept coming around and and so i decided to um to look into it a little bit to do some research i i kind of chose some people that i i wanted to read and follow and uh it kind of just took off and and so when i um when i got to the colony um I've been there 14 years now. I kind of had this crazy idea to commit to a chosen culture. And, And we've talked about it before, but basically an organization, you got one or two choices. You can accept the culture that's going to exist. All organizations have one. Hope it's a good one, or you can pursue a chosen culture. And so, uh, that was, that was what we decided to do. And a big part of that, uh, was to kind of, uh, buy into this let firefighters be firefighters and and what i call a fire first preparedness culture right and if you think about it corley the the greatest i talked about this the other day also the greatest investment made in any fire department organization is in its fire suppression and fire rescue capabilities we 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 don't get funded more for anything else you you figure fire trucks uh, and you know engines rescue squads whatever you call them firefighters protective clothing our our bas a breathing apparatus our thermal imagers all the hose so that's that's the greatest investment that our taxpayers make making in our organization so uh to me it just kind of made sense to kind of put out this fire first preparedness culture and uh kind of make that the the center of our attention uh whether we're, we're we're training or we're developing fire operation guidelines and all those things so we've been doing that now um, like i say for for close to 14 years, it's worked very well for us. And, um, it, it kind of packaging like that, it kind of gives you an, an idea, kind of a mental image of, of what the culture is about. And, uh, so that's kind of how it got started. I, th- I think it's still going very strong. It certainly has helped us with our recruitment and our retention. And so, uh, that's, that's kind of what we're doing. We just had a captain's camp where we uh, did the colony project too. And so we revisited all of this. We, we redefined kind of our purpose, our mission. We looked at our core values, our leadership and operational philosophies. And, uh, we decided we want to stick with it and we're, we're going to, you know, pursue that for the next seven or 10 years.
1: That's awesome. So the revisit, man. No, that's cool. And, and there's so many things I want to dig into on it, but, um, Initially, when you when you when you kind of said I'm going to do fire first preparedness culture, was there a was there an initial pushback with what was the initial reception I should say not pushback but reception of it?
0: Well, you know, the, we had so many changes going early on. You know, part of that was was going you know to that engine and truck deployment model. So this was all part of that same kind of, of, of movement in our our history. So there was a little bit of um pushback on that, you know, uh, I had some very senior members here, 30 plus uh, members that that were my shift commanders, and you know, they viewed it as hey, that's big city stuff, it's never going to work in the suburbs because face it, not many suburban departments uh, really have that that strict engine and truck um commitment. And so there was a little pushback early on, but but once um the organization kind of started to see that fires were going better, that they were much more coordinated, and that uh, everybody kind of came off the rigs with a with a purpose and a direction. Nice. Um, it 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 caught on pretty quick.
1: Right on, man see I'm, I'm looking at the looking at the comments hey i yeah, absolutely check in i like the tn times two two tennessee uh, t- someone said tennessee checking in then someone said tn times two it'd be awesome every place you check in like let's see who can get the highest x number that would actually be kind of <laughs> cool so we're gonna make that a thing like when you check in from whatever state you're at put the x number next to it um and so that that uh, man there's so many things i want to ask you about the 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 tr- engine and truck model especially suburbia because like you said it doesn't exist and and me and you have talked about this before, driving around different various cities, saying, um, you know, the average American fire, I, I like to say, I am the American fire service. I'm a, a four-station city with 66 guys on the line, yeah. and, and we don't have, we have quints, you know, uh, we're blessed in a lot of ways. And, but, but that's like, actually, better off than a ton of the American fire service, first of all, but a lot of them is even smaller than that. And so, talk to me about the engine and truck model uh, being developed. Oh, lots of questions coming at you too. So go with that first, and then I'll get to the questions.
0: Yeah. So, so we have the, the colony is made up of of what's referred to as fox boxes, right? They're, they're these twelve hundred thousand to twelve hundred square foot homes. They're 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 small. Um, they're they're kind of cheaply built. And so, one of the challenges that I was confronted with uh, early on was. How do we minimize our zero impact period, the time from when we set our parking brake to when we start solving problems on those fires? Because the window of opportunity for anybody in those buildings is very small. And so we had to figure out a way to do a lot of things simultaneously. Blue card would never work in the colony. We we don't have the time to stage up the street and assign everybody. We had to figure out a way that uh, when we got on scene, everybody went to work. And so we committed to this uh, this engine and truck deployment model. Uh, the engines do engine work, the trucks do truck work, and more importantly, uh, truck guys are assigned to the truck, engine guys to the engine, and very rarely do they cross over. I mean, there's some opportunities to do that, um, but it also helps us build experience uh, in our members kind of doing the same thing, getting the sets and reps. You know, if if, if we have a fire tonight, and uh i have a crew go to the roof uh, i i know that it's going to be a crew that's the most recently rehearsed right it's on. the crew that's done it the last however many fires we've had over the years and and so it just really really worked and um the guys really started to buy into it and it provides all kinds of advantages you know a, 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 guy, a firefighter can come in at shift change and start preparing uh for, for the next next fire call and so you give some mental advantages. There's the pre-arrival kind of rehearsal where, uh, you know, that, that three or four or five, six-minute takes us to get on scene and kind of start updating the hard drive and, and start going through a mental process. And uh, so when they step off the rigs, they're ready to go to work. The other thing that does is it kind of keeps the anxiety level low. And I, I won't get into a big spiel about survival stress reaction, um, but but that could prove critical in the event that a firefighter gets in a bind uh, thinks he or she is is in trouble, and that anxiety starts to build. Our bodies start to work against us. We start to get tunnel vision or deer in the headlight. Uh, right, our, our, right. Fine uh, motor skills start to decrease. Our gross motor skills skills increase, and so all that plays into this engine and truck deployment model. And as you know, it's worked so well that we put a squad in service a couple of years ago. And, uh, we kind of took it to the next level. So now we run engines and trucks and, and we have this, uh, FDNY style heavy squad, um, that, that plays right into it. And the squad can do engine work or truck work. And those members have experience riding the engine and riding the truck before they get assigned to the squad. So for our little, um, 18 square mile, five station, uh, department, it works really well and it, it provides us that window of opportunity. Uh, to really take advantage of um, on those smaller homes and, and give anybody who might be inside uh, the greatest chance of, of surviving.
1: I love it, man. I love the fact that you tied it all back to that uh, that first metric, which is what gives them the best chance. Coming at you from Daniel Shaw, he wants to know, Chief, how long did it take for you to start seeing a shift in the culture, and when did you know you had turned the corner? Was there a point?
0: Yeah, so any cultural change takes – on, on the on the on the uh, the low end, eighteen months. I always say eighteen to twenty four months. Um, once you initiate a, 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 an attempt to change the culture, and really the first indicator of what the culture is and that the culture is changing is in casual conversation. You start to hear the chosen culture talked about in in firehouse talk around the kitchen table and so forth and so that's really the first sign that the message is getting out there what's really cool now is we've been doing it so long that as we start to hire people people that have never belonged to the organization they come in for their interviews and we start to hear a lot of the things that our culture values repeated back in in their interviews so it takes some time you have to be patient you can't rush it you got to be very deliberate you gotta kinda nurture it along and cultivate it and you gotta take advantage of um uh, of momentum when you get it. But um you know, I would I would say about eight, 18 to twenty four months and and you're really gonna start to notice the change when you hear uh the things that the culture valued being talked about by the members of the organization.
1: So when the language when you start hearing the casual language especially start to espouse it?
0: Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, that's
1: strong. That's strong, brother. That's strong.
0: Um, and, and you know, culture—the most, the most basic definition—is culture is really what the group values. But it's also, I suppose, values and assumptions, and and rituals and routines and and um, artifacts. Yeah, you know,
1: artifact. Yes. All those
0: behaviors, all those play into it.
1: I love it. Um, how much Good pride? Question. No, it was a great question from Daniel Shaw, and I want to say uh, I want to get back to the squad, squad eighteen. How much pride and esprit de corps? Does the squad bring in your in your opinion? Like, obviously, you're a huge fan of it, but uh, as you did, was it as successful, more successful, or like, like, what was your what's your thoughts on it now that it's been in effect?
0: Well, it's it's for us, it's very successful. So we moved the tower ladder uh, down the south of the city when we um, when we opened station four, and that's where our mid rises and all that. So it left a need in the middle of town. And we have very, very small streets, a lot of difficulties getting access. And so when we sat down and, and we started talking about how are we going to replace that truck function, the squad was the, uh, was the, the most, um, um, realistic answer to that. And it's, it's a, it's a rescue pumper. It's got basically the same equipment as the tower ladder has on it, minus the aerial. And so it's it's worked extremely um well. As you know, uh Andy Fredericks has had a huge influence on the Colony Fire Department. We do something every Friday called Fredericks Friday. We've been doing that for years. And so one of um one of my members, Mark Bond, came to me and uh said, "Hey Chief, we're talking about putting a squad in service. What do you say we uh we number it 18 after Andy yeah. Fredericks?" And I said, "Man, what a brilliant idea." Sometimes as chief, all you got to do is say yes. Yeah. You know, the men and women will bring you a lot of great ideas. And sometimes all you got to do is say yes. And so we did that. And I think, uh, you know, many out there know Stephen Giles and Justin Fraze. Those are just a few of the, the guys that are, are on the squad. And, and, uh, they've really uh, taken my very elementary vision and ran with it and, and made it more than I, I ever really thought it would be. So tremendous ownership. And I think they're very proud to be a part of it. Uh, they're kind of one of the go-to companies on a fire when things are getting a little, little dicey. I, I can look to those guys, and and we typically run it with four, and and they can split and do a lot of things. And so it's a it's kind of a security blanket. Um, that there's a lot of pride on those members, but we hold them accountable to perform at a high level. Um, if if you're not buying in, if you're not into the training and 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 the way that it operates, uh, you're not you're not going to stay on the squad. It's not a guaranteed position. We're going to put somebody else on there who's Who's like-minded and has got the type of mindset that we want to uh, to make that thing work at a very high level?
1: Sorry, I got to. I, I have to uh, write down the soundbite moments. And one thing, everybody listening um, right now, there's 145 people listening live, but. Everybody, take that clip right there. I'm going to I'm gonna make it into a sound bite and release it where it says, "Sometimes all the most of the time all the chief has to do is just say yes with the passionate people." I am butchering your quote that I'm that I heard like 2 minutes ago, but 100% you take that, play it, we'll make the American Fire Service better tomorrow. So,
0: okay, well, come at you. you know. Okay, go ahead. No no, 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 I don't want to cut you off. No, no. I was just going to say, you know, saying no is is a safe answer, right? If we're talking about risk avoidance, saying no really limits your 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 exposure. But um, you know, uh, we 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 just say yes, and some great things, like I say, um, uh, the squad being one of them, and and a few other things. And so, uh, if if you listen to your members and and. Uh, and you kind of give them the things they need. They they they'll take care of a lot of really awesome things, and and not only solve some problems, but but do some things that heck I would never think about.
1: Right on, right on. Coming at you more questions. Uh, what rank is the company officer of the squad? Captain. Captain.
0: Cap- captain on the squad. We got a captain, an apparatus operator, and two firefighters assigned uh, assigned to the squad.
1: So it's the same as an engine, same as the ladder. Yes.
0: Well, now, the latter, we run a five-person truck. So on the truck, we have a, a, a captain, two apparatus operators, and two firefighters assigned uh, which, to the truck.
1: Which makes me want to ask this question, was comes from, Or actually, uh, Brian Brillmeyer. Brillmeyer, I hope I got your name right because I'm reading it there. But can, he, can Chief Thompson talk about how they decided to go to a TDA? Tractor-drawn aerial.
0: Well, yeah, We've talked about it uh, for a long time, and we actually considered it prior to buying the Midmount Tower ladder. We just didn't have the staffing. I'm not going to put a TDA in service and run it with just three people. You know, we're not. You know, Danny Dwyer was put in that situation, and he made the best of it. But uh, you know, one of the things that that uh, that I had a, a conversation with with my boss is that we really need to do it. Uh, for accessibility but we really need to improve our ground ladder game i mean we we our future is ground ladders and the stuff that they're building and so we really want to increase our our ground ladder inventory uh we needed to uh buy a rig that that we could get into some some tight spaces and so um it just, just took it took some time to get our staffing to a point to where we can put it so now uh like Say when we put it in service, we, we right off the bat will have a captain, two drivers, and two firefighters assigned to it. To me, that's an ideal uh, staffing model for running a, a TDA. Right on. Right on. Um, but we're, we're just now putting the final touches on it, and we're probably not going to take delivery of it for two years. But uh, uh, you know, we're we're looking very seriously, possibly going with with a sea grave, which is real unique in Texas. But uh, um, and it's it's going to be a dry truck, and so uh, the, the the we have a, a group that the truck captains are working on it with Chief Rice, and they're doing a phenomenal job. And I, I'm excited every day when they update me and, and show me where the where the division's going with it. Awesome, awesome. Uh, some people are saying they're losing video.
1: Just refresh if you have to. Uh, right now, every all the numbers look good here, so it might just be a Facebook hiccup. So keep on hitting it. Got the rank. I'm getting the questions coming at you here. Refreshing. Uh, how do you pick, Brian? same guy, Brian Briemeyer wants to know, how do you pick the guys that you put on the squad? Is there a process?
0: Yeah, I I leave the staffing really up to the shift commanders. You know, they're in the best position to know the capabilities. But on the truck and the squad, um, like we, we're when we open uh, uh, getting ready to open Firehouse Five, so there's a lot of moves. So they uh, will put together um, their team for the squad, and then they'll run it by myself and the ops chief, and we kind of give it a blessing, or we'll have a conversation and we'll talk about it. Uh, but but they're kind of handpicked, and and uh, when we kind of first started it, we picked the captains, and they, they had some input on who their uh, their drivers were going to be and some of their firefighters. And so we, we try to get uh, um, as much of that team involved as we can so that there's some ownership. Team chemistry is very important. And so that's that's kind of how it goes. But the shift commanders really uh, take the lead on it and then kind of propose uh, their, their staffing recommendations to myself and, and Shannon Stevens, who's my ops chief. And more times than not, we, we give a thumbs up and endorse. But every once in a while, we we, we, we You kind of offer a suggestion on maybe another position, another person filling that position. Uh, Okay, here we go. Getting back to the
1: questions. Uh, Did you ever have anyone in your department not wanting to buy in? And this is, I know you get this question a lot, but if so, how did you handle it?
0: Oh, you know, we, we do... The city does kind of surveys throughout the year. We just did one. It's called "Engage the Colony" that our HR department puts out. And and there's a handful that that really aren't buying in. You know, they don't they don't like the fact that that um we do some of the things we do and and uh, you know probably think it's a little over the top to have this real strict engine and truck deployment model and putting this FDNY squad on. You know, and and, and so yeah, th- there's a couple. Um and, and we have conversations, but again that that's something we kind of leave up to the company officers to uh to manage and um, you know it, it works itself out. I I haven't had any just flat out resistance that says, Hey, we're not doing this. It's more questions and we try to provide the why and answer those questions. But Corley, I'll I'll just be honest, for our little city and especially since we went to our new hose package with the true ID and a smooth board, I mean, you know, our, our fires are going pretty good, um, and I think the whole organization sees that. I mean, we have bad days like everybody else, but compared to the uh, to the operations the way they were and where they are today, I mean, for our little suburban city, um, I think we kind of really found the, the combination and in the ingredients to maximize our capabilities, uh, the things that have been given to us and do the most with what we have. You know, when we bought these new engines we totally redesigned our engines and we brought Dennis Laguerre in and said hey we got these new engines teach us how to maximize these things and get the most out of them and we're going to do the same thing when we get the TDA in so uh, no there there hasn't been any really hard resistance I think it's kind of sold itself just because uh, of the commitment of the men and women that are are in the organization making it work and like I say our, our fires are going pretty good right
1: on Right on. Okay. Uh, Kyle Ramos wants to know, can you discuss the interview question that you ask applicants that relates to the wind-driven fire that you had?
0: Yes, yes. And and it's amazing. And, you know, uh, there's probably some people that don't believe it, but uh, we had a fire a couple of years ago um, and it, it came in at seven o'clock in the morning. A report of people trapped and it was, it was in a modified Fox box. It was kind of two Fox boxes connected. And so, you know, when, when, um, when a fire comes in, a chip change, everybody gets on the rigs. Right. Uh, to make kind of a long story short, reported two people trapped. Uh, Travis Harden um, and uh, Chisholm Ross-Huber was a captain on engine 11. They got, got on scene. And so they stretched the first line, and, and, and you know, their goal was to get in between uh, we allow our our squad and truck company to search ahead of the line, so you know the truck is committing in there. Now we got a line in there, and um, again, our, our new hose package we're flowing 160 gallons per minute. Um, one of the, the the faults, and and um, and the captain will will agree to this is he didn't do a complete 360. He he did there were some fences. He did the best he could. This started as as a, a exterior fire. And as they were making their push, the uh, sliding glass door broke out, and we had winds um, coming at us at about 16 miles per hour. So now it became a, a wind-driven event. And so uh, the, the engine crew really had, had no choice. If, if they would have bailed, uh, that truck crew would have been in trouble. So they had the, the line wide open, and uh, they, they weren't making much progress. Uh, finally, um, we got the search crew out of there and and uh, they called a mayday and, and uh, there's a side note here to those that are listening uh you may teach your people i, I guess the best term is to preload the room to, to load hose in into the room so that they can advance quicker and, and there's nothing really wrong with that unless you teach your people to follow the line out if they get in trouble which which everybody does well you can't teach both so in this situation our door control with somebody who typically rides a truck in the college that he teaches at, they teach, you know, loading the room. And when uh, Engine 11 got in trouble and they were following the line out, they came to this this uh, extra hose, and, and that's when they called the mayday. Right. So it was a wind-driven event in which uh, they had to stay in that flow path operating, or or we would have lost possibly lost some members. So what we did is we looked at that, and we were kind of asking the question, but we didn't have a real good scenario. So now when we hire somebody, we use that exact scenario. We're sitting there, we're saying, hey, if you get hired your first day, you will be assigned to an engine company. Your first tour, you catch a fire, uh, and you're going to be the initial tack line. Um, You're going to have to put yourself between the fire and the victims, and you're going to be forced to operate in the flow path. It's a wind-driven uh, event there's a high probability you will be burned which is what happened to Travis Travis was 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 not critically burned but he he went to the burn unit had some skin grafts and we ask are you willing to take this level of risk it's it's a it's a very real scenario and 3 out of 10 say no they say we're not willing wow. to take that risk right. now our friend Mike Walker uh was interested in that question and he was I don't know if he's still doing was asking a similar question in OKC he is and he would follow it up and say if your family was in there would you take that risk and some that said no now said say yes now we got an integrity issue right so it's pretty revealing i think um and, and, you know, the the backside of that is now with that knowledge, I really can't let those people onto the fire department. I mean, it's not bad people doing bad things, but I think my citizens would have a difficult time understanding me bringing somebody on to this organization where we're expected to take risks at a professional level um, to bring somebody on who's admitted that I'm not willing to take that level of risk. So we, we got to pass on those folks. And uh, like I say, about about thirty percent, three out of ten will, will say. And and we've been doing this now for several years, and uh, it's held pretty true. Absolutely. Does anybody who's listening know if Mike, if Chief Walker, if they're still asking that question in OKC? Man, I'm curious. I, I as know of the
1: as of the point where my son got hired on there, they were still asking the question. So that was were that they? was that was about a, he, he's he's got fifteen months on the job now, so. As of fifteen months ago so, they weren't i I don't think there's any reason why they've switched in the last fifteen months
0: you right? know some people argue well the way that they're taught in the fire academy and so forth but uh I just think it it's a great uh question to um prompt some discussion like i say it's it's held pretty true to us we're pretty passionate about it. We ask it with every group and um you know I'm surprised that it hasn't gotten out <laughs> to how to answer that, but it hasn't yet but uh that's the story behind it and it's based on an actual event
1: right on man right on 100 percent. okay what hose package are you running for the 2.5 inch attack package john mccoy was wondering about your two and a half
0: yeah yeah i mean we're, we're growing the true id we're 100 we're smooth bores uh that's 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 done us it's worked really well for us uh and uh you know we we've like I say we've had success with it and so uh We're we're going to continue to do that. Dennis LeGear reached out to us when he initially um, uh, was going to the hose manufacturers and trying to get that true ID hose. And so for us, it's it's worked really, just worked really well. Awesome.
1: This comes from Jeff Stone. I love Jeff Stone. He has a great question. Chief, can you talk a little bit about how a shift-level chief officer balances guiding culture at the shift or battalion level versus allowing company-level culture to develop under the leadership of company officers? Like...
0: Okay, what's so, the balance? So let me let me talk about the layers of culture first. Is there's there's a um, there's a uh, macro culture which is the American Fire Service, an occupational culture which none of us have much influence over that. Then there's an organizational culture, and that's what makes the Colony Fire Department a little bit different than more fire department. The things that that we value, but then we start talking about subcultures and microcultures, right? So the subculture is shifts, battalions and supervisors. So if you think about it, those of you out there that are company officers, there's things that you do every day that aren't in policy or procedures or anything. You just do it because that's the way you do it. Well, that's part of your your subculture, your supervisory subculture. So shift commanders um, have a tremendous amount of influence over what their subculture values. And then we go into the firehouse and those are microcultures. That's the fire firehouse, the fire company, or a specialty unit, you know, you're riding a rescue or a squad or whatever, and the, the company officer has the greatest influence. So you can have a tremendous influence, but the thing is you have to value also what the culture above you values. If not, you're you're setting your people up for failure. There can't be this radical difference between the organizational culture and the subculture or the microcultures or or. We're, we're we're allowing people to drift towards failure, so yes, you can have a tremendous um, influence. But this is this is what's important, and I think this is where a lot of fire service leaders struggle: is is you got to first of all define a vision of success, so you know what you're working towards every day. When when right. you kind of can envision what the end result looks like, it's kind of this whole reverse engineering thing. Um, And you can start to identify the knowledge, skills, abilities, and attitudes it takes to get there. And in doing that, you have a discussion about what you want your microculture or your subculture to value. And if the the group is in agreement with that, then you've got to become role models and advocates for for the process and, and kind of live it every day. And little by little, that will become part of you. And so, um, yeah, one, once, you decide what you want the culture to value, then you can pursue it. You got to be patient. You got to live it every day. You've got to take advantage of momentum. You've got to explain the why and you've got to keep everybody in the process so that they feel connected to what you're trying to do. And, and then just keep, just keep chugging along and, and it starts to, uh, take root and uh, pretty soon it, it kind of becomes self-sufficient, and, and that's how you sustain it.
1: Right on, man. Right. And I don't think I've heard a better breakdown of micro, macro, and the <laughs> sub, and the mini. And, I mean, it just, it just lay, it's just layers down, but if you don't define what six, <laughs> I love it, brother. Love the question, Jeff. John Valais Jr. wants to know, Without a formal mentorship program at the department level, is there anything at a crew shift level we can do to implement a more formal mentorship program? And before Chief answers, I'll say, go to fireserviceleadership.com and download Chief Thompson's mentoring program that he gives away for free. Uh, Absolutely. That's where I would start. But that's what I will say first and then say, go, Chief Thompson.
0: So, Let's let's define the difference between mentoring and coaching. <clears throat> coaching is dealing with the here and now. So let's say we're going to go out. We 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 have twenty eight foot extension ladder. So let's say the drill of the day is going to go out. It's going to be a one person throw of a twenty eight. So the senior man or woman goes out and demonstrates it, and uh, explains it, answers questions. Then everybody goes. You get immediate feedback. You go again until you meet the standard. Mentoring positions people for long-term success in the organization. Now, I have nothing in the world against traditional mentoring, those those organic relationships that form between a senior man or woman and a junior man or woman. Those are great. The reason why I've kind of focused on formal mentoring processes is so that everybody in the organization can benefit from a mentoring relationship. And I say this, and I say it with great confidence, I believe that mentoring is the future of fire service leadership and learning. And those organizations that embrace a formal mentoring process, a process that is accessible to everybody in the organization, are going to have a much easier time navigating future challenges than those that don't. So you know I'm very, very passionate about it. Um, And if we're talking about pursuing a chosen culture, you cannot pursue a chosen culture um, and you cannot uh, have a mentoring program without some standards. And, and and you've got to give mentors the tools and, and so yes. forth, and it's got to be supported from the chief. So all of this really ties in together. Probably the quickest way to implement a chosen culture is through a mentoring program where you have people who understand what you're pursuing and they're advocates for the process, and they help everybody understand what you're trying to do. So mostly all mentors are coaches, but not all coaches are mentors. Mm. Uh, But mentors really about positioning people for long-term success in the organization. Love it,
1: man. Looking at questions coming at me from Kyle, Small Town Combo Department. Darren Harmon wants to know, Small Town Combo Department. POV to the station, on truck to scene, or drive POV to scene? What's your thoughts? Do you prefer POV to scene or
0: POV to station? So when I was in Athens, Texas, they had POVs to scene. And I would have to get police to run a license plate check for my accountability system. I didn't know who was there and who wasn't there. Um, I've worked in systems where I could take my POV to the scene, others where I could not. The the important thing is you got to have some discipline, right? If people are allowed to take POVs to the scene, obviously, you know, they've got to have a level of caution. And and we we see a lot of those situations where there's accidents that result from that. I guess in a perfect world, I would say POV to the station and the rig to the scene. I just think that that's a little bit better as far as accountability. You have a few seconds to kind of get your your game face on and talk about what you're going to do. So, uh, but, But either one of them will work. It's it's just you got to kind of have discipline so that it doesn't become a freelancing chaotic. We don't know who's there, what they're doing, Uh, and that's really the thing that you've got to uh, uh, work to prevent. But you know, if you can make it work, and depending on how uh, spread out your firehouses are, in some cases you you have to do it. And so, you know, I, I don't have a real hard position on either. It's just about how you, you manage either one, I guess, is the best way to, to uh, frame it up.
1: And it comes down to the organizational discipline, really. Right, right, right. right. No, that makes sense completely. Uh, um, yeah. there. Hey, everybody, there's a lot of freezes going on. It appears to be depending on where you're watching from because a lot of people have no problem and a lot of people are freezing. So... Hit the refresh, and I'm sorry if you're in the area where it's not playing good. I really do apologize.
0: Poorly, I feel sorry for you, brother. You're trying to pay attention to me and a thousand other things. And...
1: No, no, you're answering great questions, so it's good. I just feel bad for the people it's freezing on, but there's honestly not much I can do if it's freezing in your area and other people are watching it just fine. I can't fix it from here. Chief, Dave... I'm gonna read it right. Derico, Dave Derico says, "Chief, is there a way, if any, Hi, to, pro- to professionally and non-confrontationally fix a toxic co- fix a toxic culture that stems from the top rather than from the rank and file in a small organization? I know you love the question.
0: I don't have a good answer, Dave. You know, I always say if I could fix fire chiefs, I could cure cancer." Um, and, and to be honest with you, uh, I don't spend a lot of time investing in the fire chiefs that are fire chiefs now. And and it's, again, it's not bad people doing bad things. My focus is on the next generation of fire chiefs. Hopefully I can give them some tools and some, some mindset, some things to help them be successful. But, you know, if, if you're doing the right thing for the right reason, and you live that every day, do it. And, and, uh, If you stick to it and people see that you're getting a positive result out of that, more and more people will start to follow. So if you live it and it's valuable and, and like I say, it's doing good things, just keep doing it one by one. You know, it's one person at a time. starts coming over. Uh, That's really the best way for it to happen. You know, we always talk about Rob Fisher, who talks about 10% pressure 100% of the time. That's really what it is. But no, I do not know of any magic pill or wand or anything that you can wave that's going to fix a toxic culture that starts at the top. That's, that's just a bad deal. You got to be patient. You got to wait it out. Everything gets better eventually. Uh, but you learn things through these periods also. And, and that's what I would challenge you to do is, is get as much from this experience as you can. See how people are interacting with one another. Keep this vision in your head of of what you think it should look like And, and, and just take little baby steps towards that. And it will happen. It just takes some time. I, I always, when I start
1: reading that question, I realize what the question is. I always hesitate in the middle because me and Chief Thompson have have, have said on many uh, interview panels, and that is a, it, I would probably say it's the number one question that gets thrown at Chief Thompson. Without, I a get doubt.
0: asked that question 10 times a week. Some yes. poor firefighter will say, hey, man, I'm in this toxic culture and, and the chief doesn't want to train and the chief doesn't listen to us and there's, there's a lack of two-way trust and you know the the chief talks to us like we're inmates and this and that. And, you know, I'm sorry. I'll, I'll be glad to talk to you and listen and, and lend a sympathetic ear, but I, I really don't know how to fix that. I, I I really don't. Just just do what's right and and sleep well at night. And uh, that that's really and, and just stick with it. Focus on your sphere of control. What you can control. What you can't do, you can't give in and become part of the problem or they've won. But the other thing I'm gonna say and and you know a lot of people don't like to hear this, but but those of you that are are company officers and chief commanders, if if, if you wanna have firefighter friendly fire chiefs, you gotta put yourself in those positions. You gotta step up there and do it. And you know, being a fire chief is not the, 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 the best position in the fire department. It's certainly got its bad days. It's got a lot of good days, but but if you wanna make that change and have that influence, you gotta position yourself. Uh, To put yourself, I, I never, I never wanted to be a fire chief, but I wanted to have a positive influence in the fire service. And one of my mentors helped me understand that the best way to do that is to put myself in this position. And it's, you know, Rick Lasky being one of those. It's proven true so far.
1: Okay, I'm going to throw some. I like to ask the Vigilante Questions of the Week, and there's been so many audience questions coming at you. I haven't got to one yet, but I want to throw one at you. This one comes from Seth Todd, and it kind of ties back into what we talked about promotion earlier. But uh, Vigilante question of the Week from Seth Todd says, when it comes to promoting, how can administration change to make sure they're promoting the ones that want positive change and not just the type? You know, basically, how do you promote the people that want to promote for the right reasons? What's your wisdom on that?
0: So... We have a very unique, um, we're a right-to-work state, so we can basically do whatever we want. But I have to kind of stay true to civil service rules, because if I get too radical, that'll be the default. They'll go for a civil service vote. So so we, we have a peer evaluation. Um, we have in-baskets. We have a written exam. Something very interesting happened with our last promotional for Station 5. Two of my very well-respected captains kind of, went out and talked to the organization, and they wanted to create a promotional process that really focused on our core values of duty, respect, and integrity. And they came to me with a very well-thought-out plan. And so we pulled the trigger on it, and um, it had some challenges. I'm not sure it, it really got the, the best people. It we, we got good ones, don't get me wrong. But I can think of of one example where where one of our young firefighters who really just does a lot of great things and is not a great test taker. Every promotional process has a victim. That's just the way it is. Um, So, you know, I I think a peer review is is very important because those are really the folks who know the true character of of, of people. You know, I, I only see... People at their best a lot of times, so I'm not a great judge of of what goes on in the firehouses except when I'm there visiting. So yeah, yeah, I think um, you know you can have a combination of things. You obviously want a, a knowledge and skill component. You want an experience component. You want a problem solving component, and then you want a peer evaluation. I'm a big believer in peer evaluations, and right now I'm looking at at what the uh, Texas Department of Public Safety does. For their promotions where you take a written test and it's pass or fail but that qualifies you to continue on in the process and then we're going to have a, a com- combination of subjective and objective um, components of that and try to really get the people who've invested in themselves they've invested in the organization but most importantly they have an attitude of wanting to continue to contribute to the betterment of everyone uh, versus just themselves or any particular project. So it's a work in process. But, yes, it can absolutely be done. You know, I'm, I'm not a huge fan of the, the written exam. I, when I was coming up, that's the way it was in civil right. service. Right. Those who scored the best on the written test got promoted. And I can tell you, that may be fair, but it 100% does not get you the best people in the organization. Right. So there's somewhere in between that and just coming off the rails and, and me picking the people that, that I like uh, that you got to try to figure out. And and you're going to make some mistakes and you're going to try some things. But I love the the peer component of it because uh, the, they'll be honest. And, and if you have a high-performance organization, they're going to want people who are going to meet the standard and not the ones that are going to look for the easy way out or take the shortcuts.
1: Right on, man. Right on. And that, that that balance between the objective and the subjective, just trying to trying to figure out that balance, fair versus. Yeah, it's
0: tough, you know, because everybody thinks. Well, not everybody. A lot of people think they're better than they are, right? You know, in their oh, minds, yeah. they're a legend in their own mind, but but everybody else doesn't seem like that. But to me, it's about investment and sacrifice. What do you, What do you invest in yourself? What do you invest in others? And what sacrifice do you make so that, that others can be successful?
1: No, absolutely. And if
0: you can uh, capture that, if you can capture that, you're going to have a pretty good process.
1: So was that peer review element public knowledge? Like, did they get to see what their peers
0: thought of them? Oh, yeah. I so say you better be damn well ready to justify your answer because we've had a couple in the past. And one of our senior firefighters who I have a tremendous amount of respect for was a victim. And uh, he 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 went to a a person who ranked them and asked him. He says, "Oh well, I should have I should have graded it differently." Well, when you got those things going on, then the, the system is flawed. We've grown a lot since then, but yeah, it's it's out there. Everybody knows the metrics. It's it's not hidden. You know, duty, respect, integrity are our core values. So everything's built around that. And uh, we put out as much information as we can ahead of time through our our mentoring process. Our uh, hiring process, our indoctrination, our, all those things come into play. And, um, yeah. So, so yeah, it's, it's very public. You know, there's always people who are a little upset about it, obviously, sure. but I expect those people who do the grading to have the courage to explain their reasoning. And, and that's part of the learning tool to help people, um, learn and be more successful the next time they try to promote.
1: And what I want to know is cuz every promotional process I've ever been around involved in or seen always has people upset when the results come out if it's contentious at all or competitive at all I shouldn't say contentious just competitive so is it more so or or, or just average is what I'm asking
0: is it No I would say average okay I would say average I mean I've only had I've only had in in I don't know how many we've done I've only had two formally contested processes where they actually, you know, formally came forward. Now there's always a little gripes and whines and this should have or that should have, but, but no, I, I would say feedback when they're asked, why did you grade me like that? Right
1: on, right on. Okay. Just checking vigilante question of the week coming at you. This one comes from Craig D Blake, one of the vigilantes. He wanted to know two of the greatest guys to the fire service are pride and ownership and the functional fire company. And I have to uh, agree with you, you. man. It's very, very, I mean, I can't, I can't argue with that. Thank Can you. you take us? how your approach to fire service management developed before during and after working with chief Lasky.
0: I can't, and it's a story that I love to tell. So I've worked for six organizations and and just to backtrack, I started with Plano, Texas, which is a very progressive, very well-funded fire department, but very traditional in how they do things. So I was raised in, in kind of a strict culture, you know, you, you, you don't sit out in front of the firehouse. You're, you're very much uniformity and, and all those things. And so that's kind of how it was brought up. And that's the way it is in Texas, depending on where where in Texas uh, you work. So I, I had this mindset, and, and you know, I, I was I was okay with it. It was I didn't know what I didn't know, right? And so um, I went to work for Bill Strickland after Plano, who was from L.A. City. He was the ops chief in L.A. City. This is when I went to work in Arlington so i had to learn his way of doing things very much um west coast which which was a great experience and so i learned some things back down to division chief when i went to work for rick but i wanted to be a fire chief with the new new mindset that he helped me develop and so uh it it was it was kind of a new new beginning and i tell you if it's paid tremendous dividends you know, uh, in my leadership philosophy, there's a lot of Alan Brunicini, Uh There's a lot of Rick Lasky in there, and so uh, yeah, I, I, I am I am totally different post working for Rick than I was prior to, and it, it's all in good ways. Really opened my eyes to to what the fire service can be.
1: Right on. All right, I want to get to the tra- I want to do the training season because I don't think we've ever talked about the training season. So I want to talk about the training season, because right now we're at the beginning of spring uh, practice, are we not?
0: Yeah, yeah, we are. And it's really cool. You know, again, this was something that started out pretty basic with my vision and, and the guys and, and girls in the organization took it and ran with it. But, you know, I was I was Rick's training chief for 10 years, and I'm still somewhat involved in training. But here's the problem, is training most times in, in the places that I've visited and experienced, there's no continuity in training. It's like, you know, one week we're, we're talking about fire extinguishers and the next week we're talking about high-angle rescue and the next week we're talking about airplane crashes. And those are all important. I mean, drilling is drilling. There's always value to training. But we wanted to kind of have a continuity in the things that we did in our efforts. So the first part was, I don't know, we started five or six years ago with spring training and we right. tied it into baseball. and And this was the initial reason for it is if you look at the science on learning and retention, it will tell you that you start to lose knowledge and skill after about 45 days. Now, it's it's longer for some, shorter for others, and it's not a huge loss. But But the science says that if you don't do something for a year or two years, you're going to be adequately unprepared to do those things if you're not recently rehearsed. So the first part of this whole thing that we did was spring training, and that's where right. um, for the months of March, we're coming up to it, when pitchers and catchers report, our senior men and women report, and we spend the whole month just focusing on the basics. Uh, we go out to the yard, and a lot of times there's two-a-days. Uh, the, our senior men and women are the ones who teach it, our firemen and, and who know who should be the best at doing those things. And a lot of times they'll they'll go out at at 10.30 or 11 o'clock in the morning. They'll do a 45-minute drill. Then they'll eat lunch. They'll cook hot dogs out there. And then they'll do another 45 minutes after lunch and go to the house. And we'll do that for the whole month of March. Right on. And so that's how it takes every year. So I'm comfortable as a fire chief knowing that we're not going to do any more than a year without – revisiting the basics so we said okay how do we expand on that so then we, we get into the training season and this is where we turn it over to the cumber's in the best position to know the training needs the capabilities and the limitations of his or her crew so basically from april until august or september it's company level stuff they focus on engine stuff and truck stuff and this is where the truck guys do some engine work and the engine guys do some truck stuff nice. so that they're not totally oblivious to what the other does and then we get into our uh, uh, the fall classic, our playoffs. Are re- and that's, this nice. is where the battalion chief takes over. So we've done a month of spring training, back to the basics. We've done several months of company-level development. And, and so we get into the off-season or, or the playoffs, and this is where the battalion chief comes in and creates battalion drills. And this is the ship commander's opportunity to see how his or her crew is doing. And so we do a month of that and it's we make it reality based. We get as close to reality as we can. Like I say, we do our ISO drills and all that. And then we come out of that and we go into the off season. And we look and see what our strengths are, what our weaknesses are. We do all the other training, the HR stuff, the the specialty stuff, and then we come back around to spring training the next March and we already kind of have our training plan built in from what the battalion chief saw and we pick right up and so What it does, it brings continuity to our training. There's a start and a finish. There's a progression. We focus on capabilities and limitations, strengths and weaknesses. So we're constantly building onto our training. Now, if you go to fireserviceleadership.com to download the mentoring, I also have something on there called uh, Training Basics and Essentials for the Fire Company. And and that document will talk a lot about the training season and kind of how it's set up. But it's really about continuity to training,
1: and I'm sorry. What's really cool is it's based on the baseball schedule, and (laughs) I'm not even a huge baseball fan. But it makes so much sense when you when you really break it down
0: like that. Does that make and it makes sense to firefighters? I don't know if you saw it. I'll I'll kind of show it to you real real quick here. But like they do some cool stuff. So if you can see, that's oh that's kind of the ticket for spring training this year i don't don't even know somebody made that up and put it out there and so every year we kind of have a cool logo we try to get people fired up but it's also a rite of passage. so this year it may be our senior men and women that are that are we're we're doing search we're doing throwing ladders forcing doors and then they're telling the junior guys say hey you're going to be doing this next year so pay attention so it's also a rite of passage to get our junior members more involved in in training on the basics, um, but the big thing is is that we visit the basics every year, and we never go more than that on on visiting those topics.
1: No, man, it's phenomenal, and and the the cool part is is culture doesn't happen on accident. Like you don't get year in year out rituals, language, the artifacts, <clears> all of that does not happen on like the the ticket you just held up. That doesn't happen on accident.
0: No, and it's not hard to get. It's, it's, it's just you got to pay attention to it, you know, and look for opportunities to do those things and create mental models, mental images and make it personal. You know, I've always said from, from the first day I taught at FDIC, you got to make training personal. You got to make the why me connection and training that impacts people on a personal level lasts longer and it's recalled easier. And so all this ties into the, to the training season. Uh, what if you, anybody's got any questions on that, feel free to reach out to me, and I'll send you what I have on it.
1: Smooth Water Cartel said, "America's fire chief, ladies and gentlemen." No, you never. No, get no, to talk no, about that's it.
0: Howard. We we decided that's going to be Howard Reinwald as America's fire chief. <laughs> I'm passing that title over to him.
1: What do you do to the naysayers who kind of roll their eyes? And I mean, I know because they exist. So all, right, all that stuff doesn't matter, you know. Oh, you make such a big deal about it, but that's it's always the outsiders who don't understand the value of it. Do you have it? Do you have it? Or is it just uh ah, whatever? You don't get it.
0: I do. No, you just roll with it, man. So, I, I, you know, people will tell you that if you try to please everybody, that's the quickest path to failure. And I'm going to admit this, right, wrong, or otherwise, but when I became fire chief in a colony, I didn't buy into that. My goal was try to please everybody, and this is the reason why. I knew in reality I couldn't, but we're too quick to say I can't please everybody and write people off, right? That that That's a great app. Oh, well, I can't please everybody. But I have come to the realization that no matter how hard I try, I can't please everybody, and, I, and I'm okay with that. So, you know, we're putting programs out there. We're 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 doing things that I think benefits everybody. But I'm always, always, always going to have people that don't agree. They don't like it. They're going to fight it. We call it friction, and and that's that's just the nature of the business that we're in. Every organization has them. Every organization will continue to have them. We have them. Everybody has them. And, and you just try to minimize the disruption that they, they cause. Hopefully the majority of your organization is on board and moving forward. And, and you just, you just got to do what, if you're doing what is right for the majority, then you're going to put yourself in a pretty good position. Right on. Right on. I sleep fine at night. I can go into the organization and hold my head up and know I make a lot of mistakes. I, I do a lot of stupid stuff, but they're never intentional against the guys. I'm never trying to take a shortcut where they're concerned. We, we try to buy the best equipment. We try to bring in great instructors. We send people out to training. All our intentions are good, and sometimes that's, that's the best you can do.
1: Nice. No, it's a great answer. Great answer for my question. And I want to know this. Uh, I'm going to throw some bad at you that's coming from previous. So we're going back in time here. John McCoy said, on the peer reviews, do you see much on someone that you see is great all around, but they don't settle well when the peer review comes out? Or has it has it always been pretty much in line with you?
0: No, no. We we have seen – most of the time it is. Most of the time it is. But we have seen some that have surprised me. Because you got those people that – three months prior to the promotion, they, they become somebody different, right? You know, they know now that people are looking at them and they become somebody different. So there there have been some surprises. But I'll tell you, like, I, I, I'm i getting ready to promote three captains and six apparatus, seven apparatus operators, and and they're all highly qualified. They're good folks. The process did a good job. Did it do the best job? You know, we can debate that. But typically in all our processes, you know, we've never got anybody that doesn't deserve to be there. We may not have gotten the best person, uh, but we've always promoted people that certainly have earned it and deserved it.
1: Nice. No, I like it. I like it. Okay. There's so many questions I can throw. How much weight is placed on the peer review? This comes from Thompson Kongmany. Kongmany. Make sure I say it all right. How much weight is placed on peer review versus the other parts of your promotional process?
0: Well, it depends a little bit from from process to process, but it'll it'll be from two to seven points. So so basically, that's the scale. Two to seven points on the final score. Out of is that a percentile like was a, 100? a little bit more? Excuse me,
1: is that a percentile like on a one hundred?
0: Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So so yeah. So that's about it. It's not hugely uh an influence but it's enough that that you know if we got a couple of people that are right there in in close a uh, uh, close grouping that it could make, make a difference this last process um it, it 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 made quite a bit of difference so i would say it was more on the upper end um but, but you, and you can adjust that depending on you know how much you want it to value but but, but um we don't want it to be the determining factor but we want it to be taken serious enough to where that if, if you're just a you know a total knucklehead, you're not going to be successful.
1: Right. No, and especially if if you're a knucklehead and you get zero and, you're, and you're, someone you're up against gets five, six, seven. That's huge in a tight race. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Depending on how many parts of the process there are, of course. I'll, I'll, yeah, that's crazy. Okay, I love it. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> Chief, um, any insight... On how to maintain a strong long-term culture after the generation that created it retires.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, if if, if you've committed to that culture, then it's it's gonna it's gonna be sustainable. Um, it, again, culture is the things that the organization values. So, so if those things are in place and and uh, it's it's being successful, and you don't have a group that's deliberately working against it. Yeah, that's going to be passed on to generation. One of the things right now um, that we're kind of messing with, I mean, I'm, I'm towards the end of my career, and this is this is not a Thompson thing. I just happen to be the fire chief. Um, but but I'm towards the end of my career, and I think one of the things the organization now is trying to figure out how they can maintain um, what we have when when I decide to walk out the door if somebody inside doesn't get it, if they bring a chief from the outside in. And I, I've every time I go to a firehouse and say, "You guys have got to have um, something that you can tell that new chief that th- this is what we want," and you've got to be committed to that, and you've got to be you've got to be unified in, in in asking for that. Um, so it's it's going to be interesting to see uh, if if that's true because we haven't experienced that yet. But if, if the culture, is, so um, when we opened Firehouse Four. That was the first group of captains that we promoted that really knew no other way. They they came up under this chosen culture and so they're very comfortable with it and very familiar with it. And and so is this next uh generation. And so it, it kind of takes care of itself. If if it really has has uh, spread its roots and, and, and the men and women believe in it, then then it, it will it will carry over.
1: It will take generations to undo It
0: it takes generations to develop, and it it would take an active movement. So I can tell you, and and this is what I tell the men and women in the organization, if they hire somebody outside of the colony fire department, the first thing to probably go is our single-role paramedic program. They'll probably make all those people go to the fire academy because they don't understand it. The next thing to go is probably our engine and truck deployment model because they think that's a big city thing, and they don't understand it. So those things are probably going to go away right away. And uh the organization needs to understand that. And if they like what we're doing, they gotta protect it and they've gotta they've gotta communicate it in a way that the new chief understands how important it is to the men and women that ride the rigs every day. Because mm-hmm. that's what it's all about.
1: Mm. No, that's strong, man. Strong. What are your thoughts? This comes from Lawrence Wadsworth, and he wants to know what are your thoughts about lower ranking members doing a review on higher ranking members so so you can use that review to improve your performance as an officer
0: i've got two thoughts on that i mean i'm a big believer in in full evaluations and 360 evaluation but it's also very tough for somebody to evaluate if you've never done the job um mm. so so if i if i'm a junior fireman um i can certainly lend some insight into what i want my senior man my apparatus operator my captain to kind of be but if i've never held the position i really don't understand it and so i kind of struggle with that i kind of go back and forth this past time we did have members that were not captains evaluating captains and i i don't think it i don't think it worked great now i'm gonna really rethink that i guess that's the best way what was the gentleman's name again uh, Lawrence, Lawrence Wadsworth, Lawrence. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm kind of in between on that. I'm sorry, I don't have a better answer, but um, there's some difficulties with it. It can work. The thing you got to be real careful of are all the people that have individual agendas. In other words, all they're worried about is themselves, and that that ruins everything. When you get those people in there, that all they're worried about is is them that spoils everything and that's sometimes hard to identify so we're going to spend a lot of time thinking about it before our next process but i i would say there's some some pros and cons but i i just i kind of believe in the back of my mind it's really hard to evaluate a position that you've never held
1: no and i and i, and I identify with that because there's so many things i said i will never do that as a captain or i will never do that when i'm and then i got in that position i'm like oh that's why they did that, and now right. I understand. And so I get that part of it. Is there a way to do a 360 where you're kind of focusing more on the expectations downward, or is it just not possible, or is it baked into the
0: cake? I, I guess. No, it is. And we did something for a long time, and, and, and this was a city thing, and we stopped it, but it was called a one-to-one peer review. And we did them twice a year to where everybody kind of had that ability to talk about the the programs and the people above them and so forth. I think that's a valuable tool. Uh fine-tuning that and creating a tool that really works is is the challenge. But no, I think there needs to be that two way feedback. I mean I certainly um you know I certainly want people to weigh in on how I'm doing my job, but it can't become a a personal agenda that's what you really got to be careful of and like i said we just got back these results from what they call um, uh, empower the colony and and we had a lot of great stuff on there but it was very clear the people who answered it who were just worried about themselves and nobody else Mm. and so you got to be able to separate the two
1: nice very good answer Tony Nunez wants to know, when it comes to mentors, do you feel the mentor should be assigned to the new member, or should the mentor be someone that the new member connects with? Which way do you like it?
0: So I I think because you're talking about new members, we assign a mentor. So as we hire new people, we assign them a mentor, and that mentor reaches out, and they make the connection. Um, I'm, I'm not saying the other way is wrong. I just think it's a little clumsy. If, if I'm new to the organization, I really don't know anybody. I don't know who the influences are. The, the, you know, I, I, I really don't know who to approach. So I would say uh, phase one would be to start off as, as that person has more experience with the organization, you know, maybe in phase two or phase three mentoring, then you let them pick out kind of their mentors. So so that, that's, that's just kind of how I look at that. Uh, um, I, I think it, it just becomes very cumbersome if you sure. don't have that structure.
1: No, no, structure at the beginning, especially with the new members. Yeah. Love it. Tom Hagemeyer wants to know, how do you pick formal mentors or what resources are required or are available to the mentors? How do you pick them
0: out? Oh, well, again, we lay that up to the ship commanders and the company officers. It can't be a fairness thing. It can't be, Hey, it's my turn to mentor somebody. Right. Um, you know, because people have been through the mentoring process and because we have a lot of, lot of evaluations we do, we did something called a company contribution exercise. We have the mentor forms. We have task books. We have all kinds of stuff. The the company officers and, and the battalion chiefs together pick who the mentors are. And uh, what we have a lot of times is somebody else kind of show an interest and say, I want to be a mentor. And they'll kind of give them an action plan. Say, okay, well, you kind of need to do these things, work on that. You know, we need somebody who is relevant, who understands the organization, who understands the chosen culture, who's an advocate for the process, somebody who's good with people, who is is not going to be a bully or harass them or all that other stuff. So we've been doing it long enough, and maybe I kind of take it for granted, but we got a pretty good idea what a mentor should look like. And I think I address that in, in the packet but, I mean, you just want somebody really at the end of the day who's willing to invest in others and do it for the right reason, not for them. Do it for the other person and for the organization.
1: Coming at you with more culture questions, are you good for it? Absolutely, man. All right. Andrew. I'll Feskins hang as long as you can. Okay. <laughs> Andrew Feskins wants to know, as a new company officer, what is the best way to set the culture for a crew that kind of lacks an identity?
0: Oh, that's a great question, and identity is a key role. So so don't think of it in terms of culture right off the bat. Think of it, again, as a vision of success. And I would challenge everybody who's listening to this program, if you haven't done it, and th- this is the scenario i paint, you know, go out to your deer lease, go go get, get your glass of bourbon and a cigar and go out and sit by the fire with a blank piece of paper and start to, to define yourself. And that first thing is to identify that vision of success. you got to start there. And Corley, we've talked about this. And my officer's a whiteboard. And on the top of it says, start with the end in mind and why, if not this, what? Yes. And that really sums it all up. So y- you can't pursue a chosen culture if you don't know what you want the culture to value. So you got to ask questions like, What are we doing good? What are we doing bad? What do we want more of? What do we want less of? What do we need to start doing? What do we need to stop doing? Okay. You got to start there. But once you start to package that and start to refine it and start to to develop this vision of success, okay, and you say, all right, I'm I'm a captain of a new engine company. I've just been promoted. I've got some senior guys and some junior guys. I need to take that time to understand myself what I want that engine company to become. And once I do that and get that clarity, mm-hmm. then I can start identifying what the culture needs to value so if I'm a new captain and let's just say, I want us to be the go to fire crew in the city right on. when things are when things are, are are looking bad, I want the incident commander to go, hey engine twenty two I need you up here to solve this right?" Well, then I can start identifying you know we're going to train, we're going to train every shift. Um, We're going to develop two-way trust in one another. We're going to be here for one another. We're going to be more constructive than we are uh, destructive. We all have a role. We all have a purpose, and we're going to define those roles, and everybody's got input. So all those things start to become part of what the culture is. But if you don't know what success looks like, you can't do any of that. And so that's where you got to kind of start. And, and you know, just just take a piece of paper and say, what are my subculture to value? But if you don't, once you have that knowledge in your head, that then you, your conversations, your interactions start to reinforce that. You ask questions that are going to help you develop that. You listen and you hear things and you pick out things to see if you're going in the right direction or maybe you need to make an adjustment. So it all starts with that vision of success and trying to find... And then you got to answer the why. Everybody wants to know the why. And and there's nothing wrong with that. But then the, the, the big question is, if not this, what? If we don't pursue this culture, this chosen culture, what is the alternative? And that's the ugly truth. You know, we can talk all night, and I always say this in my classes. Those of you listening, there's probably somebody out there who thinks I'm the biggest jackass that ever walked on planet Earth, all right? Disagree with everything I'm saying, and that's fine. I'm not going to hold it against you. But my challenge is going to be, if not this, what? Right. And that's the question you answered. If not this, what? In a leadership role, you have to be that influence. You have to provide that structure to the people that look to you for leadership. You owe that to them. That's when you put on the speaking trumpets. That's part of the agreement. Like when we promote somebody, and I'm doing this right now. I call them into my office, and I read a sheet of things, and I offer them the promotion. I say, I'm offering you the position of captain. And they have to physically accept that, and I shake their hand. But what they're doing is saying, yes, I accept the promotion, but I'm also accepting the responsibilities that go with that promotion.
1: Nice. Coming at you from DPR, First Line Fire Service Training, Dennis Riley says, a visionary question what do you see the Suburban American Fire Service looking like in 10 years, and what should today's leaders be doing to prepare for those changes?
0: Well, I love Dennis, man, and I'll tell you, Dennis is doing some great things. So I have this new keynote that I do uh, called uh, Reviving the Mission Mindset. Right mm-hmm. on. I think our fireworks are going to increase because of lithium-ion batteries, building construction, denser populations, weather stuff. Uh, you know, just social responsibility of using drugs and all the other things. So so I, th- I think our firework in the suburbs is going to increase. We are going to be held more accountable, and you've heard my analogy, and I did a hump day on Wednesday where we talked about this. There's a lot of things that we should be learning from our brothers in blue and active shooters. If we don't step up to the plate and be professional firefighters and start focusing on risk acceptance versus risk avoidance, model is not going to work if we if we if we keep looking for more excuses to fight less fire versus justification to fight more fire our citizens and and bet bet money on this I'll, I'll bet my reputation our citizens are going to tell us how we're gonna fight fire right to those out there who are saying oh we're not going to do vent or search that's too dangerous you you don't have that, that option if you put fire department on the side of your rigs, and and when somebody calls 911 and you go out the door, you better damn well be ready to enter that building and do a search at some place other than the front door, especially if you're telling p- people to go to their bedroom and close the door. And we got to get that figured out. Uh, I'm very disappointed in, in parts of the fire service who are trying to make this job uh, something less than, than what those who have come before us have made it. Uh, I can tell you because I asked. Our citizens have very, very high expectations of firefighters, and we need to live up to that. Just like the cops, you know, starting back with Columbine, they they didn't go in going going to Parkland, Florida, and then with Uvalde, the citizens are saying, "By golly, if you're a police officer, you're going to get your ass in there and save my kid." Yes. Why is it any different with the fire department? Somebody explain that to me. It's not. We have a responsibility. We all put ourselves in this position, and we all need to take a professional level of risk. Now, that doesn't mean killing firefighters for buildings, but there's a spectrum again. There's doing nothing, and there's being absolutely reckless. We need to find the sweet spot based on our capabilities and limitations, and we need to be professional risk takers.
1: Boom. Dude. <laughs> Did I answer that question? I got my sound soundbite
0: for the. For, I feel like for I the, talked around. Uh, Dennis, did I answer that? Okay.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I, I will speak for Dennis. You, ab-
0: <laughs> Gabriel Blue, somewhere in the Ifsta book just exploded. Spot on. Amen. Preach. Thank you for everybody who's taking the time to listen and, and send in questions. I, that 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 means a lot. Thank you for uh, that level of interest. I will ac- absolutely
1: tell you that um, the scrappers who tune in. Not only the quality of the guest is amazing, the, the quality of the host is pretty amazing. The quality of the freaking broadcast is garbage, so I really do appreciate everybody putting up with it. I really do.
0: We'll get, get through it. it. It's Friday night. It's Absolutely. Friday night.
1: Amanda Miller said, fire church, with an exclamation point. Yeah, Smoothbore Cartel said, I would listen to Scott Thompson read the phone book. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, brother. There you go. <laughs> Uh, John McCoy says, "What were the biggest mistakes you feel you made moving from being a coach to being a
0: mentor?" I don't understand the question. I don't understand the word mistakes. No, I don't think mistakes. I think it's more what did I learn, John? And I, is it sure. John? Yeah, John. Yeah, I, I don't. I don't think they're mistakes. You know, one is elementary coaching. You know, we any of us that played organized sports. And have had coaches in our lives. You know, coaches can take on a whole lot of different personalities, but again, they're helping with performance issues right away. So let me back up and say this the most important thing that a fire chief, an assistant chief, division deputy, battalion, anybody who is a formal position in the organization, the most valuable thing you can do for your people is provide honest and timely feedback. To me there's nothing more important. You got to have the courage and the mindset to do your homework and not make it personal. Look at behaviors, don't look at look at personalities. And, and and that's the most important thing you can do for your people. And if we had all night, I could give you a lot of examples on on some of our folks in the organization. So it's not mistakes, it's a learning curve, you know. If if I'm going to be a good mentor, I got to be a good coach. So, I want to get good at coaching performance. I want to be relevant. Uh, I, I want to be able to bring something to the table at the technique level, the task level, the tactical level, and strategic level. And then uh, that's all about performance going out the door to a fire or a pin job in an in all in vehicle accident. The mentoring thing comes from maturity and experience where I understand the organization. And I can start to share the way that you miss some of the things that are detours or potholes and help you position yourself. I always say, position yourself for success and survival in the firehouse and on the fire ground and prevent yourself from drifting towards failure. Mm-hmm. So so I, I just don't think I agree with that word mistakes. I think I would say it's a maturity, it's a, it's a learning, one to the other. And, and he and clarified. I, I don't mean that negatively.
1: No, he clarified and said, yes, learn.
0: Yes. Yes. So, yes. So, yes. so, so, learning is understanding what the chosen culture is and what the organizational values are, and coming up with action steps, not just saying our core values are duty, respect, integrity, but what does that look like? Right. And what is being a top-notch engine firefighter, truck firefighter, squad firefighter? What does that look like, and how do I get there?
1: Strong. All right. That officially gets the questions caught up. So I wanna, I wanna talk about books because that's one of my favorite things to talk about book or books that you think firefighters should be reading. It's been, and this is the crazy part, I didn't realize this, it's been 64, or number 64 was the last time we had a single one-on-one scrap.
0: And yeah, so I was beginning to think you didn't love me anymore.
1: No, I know. I, I was surprised when I went back to look to see what we talked about before, because I, you know, I tried to do a little research. I was like, I can't believe it's been that long, because we see each other so often, it feels like we've done it so much. So anyway.
0: And I love uh, it. So the books. first one, without any question, oh is this one right here. <laughs> The nine L's. No, Corley, you did a great job with this. And and it fits in so many ways. So obviously this, and, and I think looking at the, the great work that Amanda does in promoting you, it sounds like this has taken off. So I'm going to say that's number one, but, but here's something. And I, I stumbled onto this. I found it at a uh, secondhand book, but but I'm, I'm reading this now and it's, it's, if it's backwards. It's how NASA builds teams. Nice. And you know, NASA is all about standards and they have a very small margin of error and they talk about the Hubble periscope and and all the other things some of the Challenger things so so this is what I'm reading right now and and I'm I'm really enjoying it I I I'm going through my second read but but this is what I would say right now is is probably a a good one so I'm I'm just going to hold it to those two I mean I got a bunch of other ones but that one right now is the one that I'm really going to kind of um kind of recommend I say hey, I,
1: I will tell you this, that's a first. The yeah. nine L's being recommended is a first. I love that. I just realized.
0: Well, there you go. And, yeah. and it's an honor to do that. So so put that on the top of your reading list and, and Corley, you've done an amazing job. And thank you. Thank you. I, I was doing a podcast yesterday. It was a three point firefighter. Yeah, Jake, yes. And he asked me, he said, what was it like to write the uh, forward?" And I said, man, it was such a tremendous honor. And, and, and I said, you know, there, there's, there's a good number of people who say they're going to write a book or they think about it. Then there's a much smaller number who actually start it and a very small number who complete it. And then a very, very small number who have a product that is worthy of all of our attention. And, and brother, you've hit that. And so, uh, it, it's a great honor to be a part of that. And, uh, I don't take that lightly, just like as I asked Brian Brush to write yes. the forward in mine. But, um, absolutely. The nine no. else is, is right in there. So I'm going to recommend you, that. And it's an honor to be the first one to do that. Thank you, Chief. It
1: was very cool. Very cool. Max. Yeah. John McCoy said max points. <laughs> 100%. Speaking of max points, we have a thing we do. You've done it before. It was called the five questions for firefighters back then. And now, it's the next five questions for firefighters, which you've never answered. Never answered. Never, I don't know if I've heard them. Right, that's what I'm saying. I'm getting ready to throw them at you. And Bring it up. I, I didn't send you a, whatever you call it, a prep list, so you don't even know what's coming at you. This is scratch right here. This is, this
0: is from shooting from
1: the hip. Here we go. Number one. Are you? And I'll give you the rules, which is there are no right or wrong answers. The, it's completely your opinion. And the points are arbitrary, assigned by me with the help of the audience. So, Chief Scott Thompson, are you ready for the next five questions for firefighters? Bring them. Number one, what single characteristic makes the difference between a run-of-the-mill firefighter and the top-tier go-to badass firefighter?
0: You know, I got to go with passion. I got to go with passion. Passion, you know, is, is a complicated word, but somebody who loves the job, but more importantly, somebody who understands the awesome responsibility that we've been given and, and who's going to do all that they can to position themselves to be successful. You know, when I talk about preparedness, and I talked about this the other day, we all fly a lot, and we're being protected when we take off and land by a fire department that's never been to a plane crash before. They, they've they never done it, right? So the passion is is the internal drive to say, "Hey, I believe in this. I love this, and I want to be better at this." And so it's kind of a self fulfilling. I, I I don't know, if prophecy is the best word. It's it's a self motivator to say, "I want to stay relevant. I want to, I want to contribute. I want to invest. I'm going to make sacrifices." So I, I'm going to say, I'm going to say passion framed up in that that definition of what passion is. Absolutely. A
1: just on the word passion, I would give a lot of points, and then with the explanation that goes with it to explain why, and especially if you can tie airport firefighters into it, (laughs) it's an easy number one max points. So number two coming at you, if you could go back in time and give yourself one piece of advice when you were a rookie, I don't know where you were first rookie, I don't know where your first rookie experience was, but if you could go back, okay, at Plano, okay. If you could go back to Plano rookie firefighter, Scott Thompson, give him one piece of advice, what would it be?
0: All right, this is going to rub a lot of people wrong. I already like it. Go ahead. I, I wouldn't I wouldn't take what Chiefs said as seriously. One of the big, big mistakes that, that I made as a young firefighter is I assume that because fire chiefs became fire chiefs, that they were at the top of their game. And so everything that I heard ever come out of a fire chief's mouth, I took that as they are the experts. And I've come to learn that now there's a lot of great chiefs out there. Don't get me wrong. Like I say, I'm a big fan of Bruno Rossini, Bill Strickland, Rick Lasky, a lot of great ones. But what I found out is I was being taught leadership and operations by people who were not successful at leading or being operators in their own system and that bothers me to this day and I, I go to conferences they don't vet these people at all they just because they they have a bunch of letters behind their name and you know that this this what appears to be a formal education and a pedigree that they're successful leaders and you talk to people in their organizations and find out mm so so that that's kind of a downer and a negative thing but that that's what comes to mind
1: Oh, I love the answer. I love the answer. I love the answer the most. Hey, obviously when you're younger, you don't know to vet what you're getting it from because you don't know what you don't know. I get that,
0: right? But it also ties in the responsibility that leaders in the fire service have, right? I mean, there's a y- lot of young firefighters that are listening to us talk and we have a responsibility to do the best that we can to give them good information. We can't be reckless with that. And, and I take that very seriously. You know, I always, I always start out by saying my two boys are on a job and yes. I would not say or do anything that I would not be okay with them being governed by. I take that very seriously. So I try not to ever be reckless with my opinions, my thoughts, my theories, my comments. Unfortunately, not all people are like that. They they want to be liked. They want to be popular. They want to be thought of as progressive. And they can't find their ass with both hands.
1: I love the answer. That's Max points already, but I'll tell you the part I love the most. Is when you said it bothers me to this day because I can tell that it still drives you in your decision making to this day, and that's 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 strong, uh, 100%. Uh, number three, what is your favorite training drill?
0: I got two of them. Okay, I guess it's tie. The big five in the first five minutes. Big five and yeah. the first five. <laughs> I tell you. I should have been, known the answer already, but go ahead. It's been successful. When, when I was in Louisville, <laughs> we started the big five, which is five topics that you know you're going to do. In in the colony in Louisville, the big five were um, hose, ladders, search, personal protective equipment to include your, your BA, your thermal imager, your portable radio, and then firefighter rescue and survival techniques. So you get really, really, really good at those, and then the first five minute drill comes from Alan Brunacini. Alan Brunacini, you say the first five minutes will determine the next five hours. It's really the first fifteen or twenty minutes, but just think about if we're really, really good in those basics, and we're really good in the first fifteen minutes: apparatus placement, uh, size up, all those things, reading the smoke, reading the fire, solid initial incident action plan. We have done everything that we can to put ourselves in the best position to be successful boom dude big five in the
1: first five i really i didn't even think about that when i was asking you the question i was like i should have known that would have been the answer and the power of that and the if not this then what aspect of that though
0: so, there you go i also you- think the line of duty debt drill or line of duty book report is very valuable i know there's firefighters alive today because of those drills now I mean, live fire training is very important. I'm not discounting all those, but we're talking about a very specific drill. And the big five and the first five can be live fire training events. Number four, what mistake have you learned the most from in your fire service career? So, something that happened very recently. It's happened in the last two years. You know, we had a situation in the organization that I've never been dealt with that I've never dealt with before. In other words, I had very little experience with it. I, I put myself in a position that I never put myself in. In other words, it, it involved HR, and I asked HR to allow me to, to, to solve the problem instead of going to an IA. And when those words came out of my mouth, I didn't know what I was getting myself into. I, I made some bad decisions. The overall outcome was fine. Nobody got fired. Nobody even got written up. But a lot of people look at me different today. I didn't handle it the best way. I, I will handle it much different if it ever happens again. But but I, I, I learned a lot of things out of that. I learned a lot of things about myself. I learned a lot of things about the organization. I, I'll tell you right now, I got to a point where I, I kind of thought the, the the Colony Fire Department could do no wrong. And and that right there is a false assumption. It's made up of human beings. There's no such thing as a, as a perfect human being. So why in the world would I think that a hundred human beings would be perfect, right? But but that's where I allowed myself to get, and so uh, huge, huge, huge lesson. It's changed me as a person. It's changed me as a leader. And hopefully, if if I'm confronted with something like that again, I'll handle it a little better.
1: Love the humility. Love the ownership. I don't know the circumstances, but man, I love the answer. And so, and, and I'm gonna
0: add, I'm gonna add another book in there if I can remember it. It's Jason Redman, Redman's book, and it's about getting off the X. I can't remember the exact title, but here's a God thing. As I was struggling with all this, I sat through a class that Jason Redmond's a Navy SEAL, right? Who was all jacked up and, and he talks around the country. But God put me in that class to listen to that speech. And it's very similar to Jocko, it's about taking ownership. And once I took total ownership of the situation, then we started our recovery process. But it took me a long time to get there. I had a hard time reengaging with the organization. And so all those things happen for a reason and all of them are a lesson. So yeah, that 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 that's a that's kind of an easy one. Easy max points also uh, when you
1: have that much ownership and that much. What I love is I didn't know what I didn't know, and then I learned it, and I never faced it before, and I will do it different next time. And all that takes humility to say all those things, man. Wow. Uh, I wish, yeah, anyway, absolutely. I guess the best thing I can say is max points. Final question, number five. It is not new. It's the question that will probably never go away, no matter how many times i change the question. It is heavy fire and searchable space. Would you rather be assigned to the nozzle or first in... Performing VES.
0: So you asked me that question once before, and I answered it Answered it with VES. And I've thought about that, and I've heard some great engine guys answered about being on the line. I, I mean, a majority of my time was spent on an engine. It was kind of a squad thing. We did either or. But, but I'm still going to have to go with, with the truck aspect of it. You know, I, I think the opportunity to make a grab, to, to put yourself in that position, you know, going back to to our system with the engine and truck deployment model, those members that are on the truck and that are on the squad are 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 by design positioned to to make those those graphs. if If there's a survivable or searchable space, searchable space, we don't decide if they're survivable. And so you know th- that to me is one of the things that that continues to motivate me. Um so I'm I'm gonna have to i am I'm gonna have to still go with, with the search and uh having the, the knowledge and the discipline to act independent of a charge hose line and not under that protection. Uh I'm gonna have to go with that.
1: Love it. I love it. And that officially uh makes it five for five on max points. Uh, with the uh, answers, A, the answers, but but more importantly than the answers is the reasoning behind them. That that really is where the max points comes from because uh, there is no wrong answers, but to get the max, I have to understand why you said it. And it's not just me. The audience absolutely agrees as people are saying, spot on, Chief, very cool. Yeah, max points. It's, okay. yes, boom, truth, 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 solid advice, yes, boom. There you go. And that makes it 178 scraps in the books. Uh, Chief Scott Thompson, when when the audience wants to get a hold of you, because they all will, what's the best way to reach out to you?
0: Scott at com. So please, I'm a little bit of a procrastinator, like I say, so so nag me a little bit, but I, I'll I'll share what I can and, and do what I can, and uh, we're all in this together. So uh, my information is your information, and, and uh, we'll just try to leave it better than we found it. And go to
1: fireserviceleadership.com and absolutely uh, sign up to the email. You have to do that part. Sign up to the email and then download the mentoring program and the training program. Free resource. All you have to do is give them an email.
0: And don't give me any credit for the information. Make it your own. The only thing I ask is, is like I say, is, is just don't turn it and go out and start charging uh, to teach it because I, my goal is to get those in every fire department in the country and and that's that's just kind of my small contribution to this great great thing that we're all doing and I'll
1: say one more thing because i've already said enough i'll keep on harping on it the uh mentoring guide to the fire service it is the there isn't anything better out there for the fire service it is the best thing I, i'm trying to figure out the better way to say it there's not anything better out there it sounds like I'm selling it short like but it's the best thing on mentoring out there in the fire service and it's and it's free go get it Go get it, read it, and make your department better tomorrow.
0: Please, please, go get it. And if you have trouble downloading it, email me at scott at com, and I'll email it to you. 2023 is in full effect. Amazing
1: scraps. Scott Thompson brought it today. Cody's coming up on Sunday. to say That's pretty much it. Uh, go to firehousevigilance.com. If you're not a vigilante, become one. Five bucks a month, the price of a cup of coffee, exclusive merch, (laughs) exclusive forums, good times. You get to determine the future of the scrap, vigilante questions of the week, uh, great discussions, all that. Enough of that. Scott, thank you for being a phenomenal guest.
0: Corley, thank you, brother. And thank you for everybody who took the time to listen in and send in some questions. They were outstanding.
1: Audience, I've said it 14 times tonight, but you make the scrap a special place to be. Thank you for tuning in live. I love you all. Remember, mutts don't scrap. I hope. The tones stay silent unless it is burning. Everybody, stay safe out there. Thanks for listening to The Weekly Scrap. Please subscribe and please share. We'll see you at the next episode.